Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, the professor of book sales, Thomas Umstead Jr., and today we're going to talk about literary universes and how they affect your marketing, how they can help, and how they can hurt. So if you are a fiction writer, this is an episode that may be very helpful. If you're a nonfiction writer, there's not a whole lot here for you, but we have a lot of other episodes uh, for you. In the olden days, this was the novel marketing podcast where we were exclusively for fiction. Now we only do fiction episodes every once in a while. So uh, today's episode comes from a listener question, and this question actually came in for one uh, of our patrons-only episodes. So you may not know this, but we have a patrons-only episode every month. So there's a fifth episode that only patrons get, and we answer listener questions exclusively on that uh, episode. It's a Q&A episode. This month, uh, we had questions about pre-order pricing strategies, how to find the right category for your book, how to get more traffic for your blog, how to get more Amazon reviews, and more. Uh, but this question, which I did answer briefly in that uh, episode, I wanted to do a whole episode on because it's just that good. So this question comes from Garrett Hudson, and he asks, any special tips for marketing a companion novel to an existing series? It's not a sequel. It's not a pre prequel just shares a significant character with the books of an existing series. And the connection's not enough to make the volume part of the existing series on Amazon and the other platforms. So great question, Garrett. And uh, I want to dive into this because this is uh, what you're tapping into is a really hot trend right now in uh, publishing and not just in indie publishing, but in all of publishing and not just in all of publishing, but in media as well. <laughs> so this is a hot trend, even in movies and TV shows. And it's what's called a shared universe. Uh, now, when it's a cinematic universe, that's what it's called when it's movies and TVs. Um, and it's called a literary universe if it's for books. And it's a way of connecting books without them being sequels or prequels, without them necessarily happening in the same timeline. You can have the same stories happening simultaneously with different characters in different part of your world. Uh, so this is what uh, Marvel does. It's what Star Wars does. It's what Star Trek did for a long time, right? Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Next Generation and Voyager all were existing in the same universe that Captain Kirk had been flying through, you know, a generation previous. And this isn't a new uh, technique with books either. This is a technique that goes back to the very origins of sci-fi. So both Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein, who are the kind of grandfathers of modern sci-fi, uh, both had shared literary universes. I think Asimov, all of his books took place in the same universe, or almost all of them. And many of Heinlein's books took place in the same universe. Now, they would separate their stories sometimes by tens of thousands of years. So, uh they weren't connecting the stories as much as, uh, say, Marvel's stories are connected. But all of Marvel's comic books were connected in the 50s and 60s. You never knew when Spider-Man was going to swing onto the page in the 1970s or 1980s. You know, the X-Men were fighting alongside and sometimes fighting against the Avengers. Uh, so it, this isn't a new technique, but it's a very powerful technique. And the reason why it's a powerful technique is that each book becomes a promotion for the other books. And as people fall in love with more and more of your characters and they find out that that character has their own comic book series or their own series of novels, suddenly they are buying all of those novels from you as well. 
And I want to say, for the record, this is not limited to sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, while sci-fi and fantasy have been doing this longer, any genre of book can be connected uh, in a, a literary universe. And horror may be a little tricky, depending on how many of your characters you kill off. But other than that, I think any other genre is very connectable. And even with horror, you have the survivors of your story, uh, and you know they can be connected, and the, the world can be connected. And, and the world doesn't have to be a fanta fantasy world. So when I'm saying world here, I'm using world in the sense of does this character exist in both stories, right? So the world could be modern-day Chicago, and that's fine, right? You're writing a modern-day romance or modern-day suspense. It doesn't have to have goblins or aliens. It just has to have a shared universe where the characters are in different stories. So a character who's a main character in one story, like Fraser Crane is a minor character in Cheers, but he gets his own TV show in a shared uh, cinematic universe. And so again, there's nothing new here. So let me real quickly go through the pros and cons of a literary universe, and I'll give you some writing tips and then some marketing tips if this is something that you want to explore yourself. So first... The pros. Uh, so these are pretty obvious, and we've already kind of referenced some of them. But uh, having a literary universe makes selling subsequent books easier, and it also makes selling uh, subsequent series easier. So let's say you've written a really popular series. Sometimes it can be a challenge to get your readers to go from that series to your next series. But if they know that some of the characters from the series that they just read are going to be in the next series, then they're more likely to keep reading it. And also, as you build a library of books in the shared universe, it can create binge buyers. Someone goes in and they just start buying your books in bulk. And this happened with my sister. I recommended a series of books to her. And I was like, if you love the first one, go ahead and buy all the rest. She had a bunch of Audible credits stacked up. She loved the first book. And so she went ahead and bought the next four or five books. So she spent $50 on this uh, series. And this uh, series is in a literary universe with another series. When I told her about this other series, she was just about ready to go and buy that series too. In fact, by the time I'm recording this, by the time you hear it, she may have bought all of those books as well. These are the kinds of binge buyers you want to buy or want to attract. It also allows you to explore side characters. So you know, let's say you're focusing on just a handful of core characters for your main book series, but you've got this really quirky character who kind of comes in and out, but they're not a major part of the plot. Well, if you have a shared literary universe, you can maybe write a whole book about that quirky character, or maybe a short story about that quirky character, and really explore the sorts of adventures they go on. This is really fun for you as a writer. It's also fun for your readers, if the character is interesting. <laughs> so if the character is not interesting, it all falls apart. Another advantage, if you are writing uh, science fiction and fantasy, and why I think this is so appealing to science fiction and fantasy reader writers, is that you only have to world build once. So world building is one of those things that if you don't write fantasy or science fiction, you don't have to worry about, but you're creating a new world if you're writing uh, these more fantastic genres. And so you have to create the rules for that world, right? And, you know, how do people travel? How do people communicate? How does the magic work? You know, what are the races, right? There's lots of questions you have to answer, lots of things you have to explore, and a lot of work goes into building a world. In fact, it's very easy for it to become a rabbit hole where authors spend too much time world building. So where they're building their world for years and years and years before they work on their story, but once you've built that world, once you have a world that's interesting and internally consistent and you know that you enjoy spending time in and your readers enjoy spending time in, why build another world? <laughs> you know, just have more stories happen in that world, even if it's 
you know, 100 years later or on a different continent in the world or even just a different city with some of the same characters. Uh, that said, there are some cons of a literary universe. And so I don't want to I don't want you to think that writing a literary universe is just going to automatically make your sales go up. The biggest con of a literary universe is also the biggest con of uh, writing a book, books and series, and that is it puts a lot of pressure on book number one to be amazing. Uh, so most authors' first book is their worst book, uh, and because they're just not very good yet, especially if they're not going through the five-year plan, they put a lot of mistakes in that first book because they just don't know what they don't know, <laughs> and so or or they're doing something similar to the five-year plan. Um, right, if they're not getting a good education, that first book is going to be really rough, and everything pivots on the first book. If that first book is weak, the whole universe falls apart. And this actually happened in Hollywood. There was a um, universe they were putting together called World of Monsters. They were going to connect the mummy stories and I think the Frankenstein stories and I think some Dracula stories were all going to be together in one shared universe. But the first movie was so terrible. Uh, and I think it was the mummy and I think it was with Tom Cruise. It was one of Tom Cruise's big flops, if I'm remembering correctly. But this movie was so terrible that it killed the entire cinematic universe and all these other movies that were in the production process at one point or another all got canceled. So if your first book is weak, all the other books are basically dead on arrival because no one's going to continue reading in your universe if the first book they read in your universe isn't appealing or it's not attractive. So if you're just getting started as an author, it's a it's a risky move to have your first book be like the signature cornerstone book of your literary universe. Now, it can work, right? J.K. Rowling's first book was Harry Potter, introduced everyone to her Wizarding World universe, and she was able to build on that. She became a, a better writer. She wrote some more books, and she wrote a lot more books in that universe, both with the main characters and also, you know, spinoff series that took place um, many years earlier uh, and in a different continent, right? The same sorts of things uh, that you see a lot of other authors do in Fantastic Worlds. Uh, J.K. Rowling did in a slightly less fantastic world, but it still has Chicago. It's one of my tests. Uh, is Does Chicago or will Chicago exist in your world? <laughs> so is it on Earth? or not. Uh, but, you know, it worked for her and it works for a lot of other people if that first book works. So that first book has got to be excellent. It can't just be good. It can't just be great. It has to be excellent. Uh, another con of a literary universe is it can be creatively restraining. Uh, so, you know, you're kind of stuck with those characters. You're stuck in that world, which if you enjoy the world and you enjoy the characters, it's not a big con. But some authors get really frustrated that all their readers ever want from them are, is a very narrow kind of book. And J.K. Rowling actually experienced this, right? Her book um, about vacancy, I think it's called No Vacancy. Um, I was actually just looking up the reviews on it, and it has kind of mediocre reviews. It has 5,000 reviews because she's famous and an average of three stars, <laughs> which is a lot less stars than her typical Harry Potter books because her readers are wanting more Harry Potter. Um, and it can be creatively restricting in that it forces you into the same microgenre, although there's some ways out of this. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, another con is that duds are riskier. 
Uh, so especially if in a series, if your books are in a series, if you have a dead book, people won't read past that dead book. And so if one of your books just doesn't work for whatever reason, you're kind of jeopardizing all the books that happen after that. The nice thing about a series that, or a literary universe, though, is that you can have other series in that same universe. And may, while people may have gotten stuck on book four of series one, they may be willing to give series two a same chance or a new chance if it's got some of the same characters. Another big con is that there's a lot more potential retroactive continuity problems. So this is where, you know, things are work one way and then you change them to work another way. And this gets weird if you haven't planned things out ahead of time. And so in a good, some good examples of people who have good retcon and bad retcon. Uh, C.S. Lewis had terrible continuity problems in his Chronicles and Narnia books. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, everyone's acting like they've never seen a man before. And The Magician's Nephew, it's like, no, humans have been in Narnia from the very beginning. <laughs> so it's like, well, which is it, right? You can't have it both ways. Do you have a, a nation of men right next door to Narnia that's, you know, an old ally or has no one ever seen a human before? So th those sorts of problems are much more likely to crop up the more books you have in a series and the more characters you have in a series. The more complicated things get, the harder it is to keep it all straight. So let's talk about how to fix that. So let's talk about some writing tips. How do you write a good literary universe? Um, and this isn't a writing podcast. So I'm not going to get too much into this. I'm mostly going to talk about the writing things that relate to marketing. Uh, but I do encourage you to, to recruit beta readers who read specifically for continuity uh, to help sh make sure everything stays the same. So if Sarah has red hair in book one, and she's not in books two, three, or four, but then you have her come in a different series, uh, she needs, and you have her blonde, right? That needs to be explained, right? If she's 20 years old in one, she's 40 years old in the other, then hopefully 20 years have passed, or she's been in a time machine or something. Although, actually, I don't recommend time machines for continuity's sake. Don't have time machines. It makes things so much more complicated. Um, and it just messes things up. And if, if you do have time machines, follow the Avengers time travel rules, not the um, Back to the Future time travel rules. But this is not the time travel podcast. Uh, another thing to do is to create a way to keep the characters' locations and plot lines straight. Some people call this a Bible. Sometimes it's a wiki. And actually, one marketing technique is to make the wiki user editable, where your fans can edit the wiki. So you have a, like a Wikipedia just of your literary universe. And you'll see some authors who have this, especially more established authors. Sometimes authors will just create it themselves for their own reference. Uh, but it helps uh, keep things straight and keeps things consistent. Another thing I recommend is just because your books are sharing a universe and they're sharing characters doesn't mean they have to all be the same uh, genre in the sense of plot. And Marvel's actually done a really good job with this. Part of the reason why they're so successful, so popular, is that they are not telling the same story over and over again. People who are only vaguely aware of Marvel and only watch the trailers may think, oh, every Marvel movie is the same. And the trailers sure do look very similar movie to movie. But if you actually watch the movies, you realize that they are in entirely different genres often from each other. So Captain America Winter Soldier is a spy thriller with Russians, right? It's like something out of the Cold War. Um, even Winter Soldier, even, it hints to that. You've got cloak and dagger, clandestine, dead drops, meeting with not knowing who you can trust. It's got all the elements of a spy thriller. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is a space opera, complete with a giant space battle at the end, just like with Star Wars. And Endgame, 
Avengers Endgame is a heist. Like you're trying to break into a vault or, or rob a casino. It's that same kind of plot where they put together a plan, they try to execute the plan, things go wrong, they try to adjust. All the elements of a heist plot are there in Endgame. And yet they're all Marvel characters. They're all uh, in a shared universe, and yet it's different kinds of stories. I think this is really key, this kind of exploring uh, genre a little bit. Because uh, there's the aesthetic genre of, like, do laser rifles exist in your world? There's also the genre of the plot and the story. And you can have, you know, let's say all of your books have a strong romantic theme. Well, you can have a strong romantic theme and they're trying to rob a bank, right? Like there are ways of mixing it up and making it interesting and keeping it different. Uh, and this is where you kind of get got to get to know your world and got to get to know your readers to know how much you can change and how much is too much to change. Um, also, I, I encourage you to make the connections between the books meaningful. Uh, some authors just have like Easter eggs that connect the books so that you only know that they're in a shared universe if you read all the other books. They don't really promote each other in that way. It's just kind of a fun thing to discover. It's like, oh, so-and-so was reading a newspaper and it referenced some event that was happening in one of the other books. That's not enough connection to really help uh, from a marketing perspective. It may be fun, right? No, but it's not going to really help you sell books. You really have to have shared characters. Uh, or something else meaningful that's shared. But I think really shared character of some kind is key. Uh, or, or yeah, characters are the best. I'm trying to think of an example of a cinematic universe or literary universe that doesn't have at least one character shared that works well. And I'm having trouble thinking of one. Uh, another thing I recommend from a writing perspective is to write a lot of short stories as connective tissue. Uh, this is helpful for world building. It's also helpful for marketing. Those short stories are a great way of kind of cross-promoting the different series in your universe, cross-promoting the different books, introducing your readers to characters they may not know very well. You know, if you're trying to convince them that this minor character that was only in six scenes of your first book that now has a whole series about him or her is worth buying a book about, you know, giving away a few short stories about that character so they can get to know that character a little bit better is really key. It's really helpful. Uh, and you can uh, recruit friends, other authors, to write short stories as well. I, I've seen a lot of authors do this in the sci-fi space and especially in the urban fantasy space uh, where there will be a collection of short stories that all happen in uh, one author's universe. And it's quite fun, actually, to see. I remember... Jim Butcher wrote a short story in the Monster Hunter International Universe, and they're very different writers, right? Larry Correa and Jim Butcher are very different writers, and yet it was kind of fun to see like this guest starring author uh, writing in a universe, and he did it in a very honoring way to the universe, right? He didn't do it in a condescending way, uh, but it also it had his unique spin on it. I thought it was very good. And, and this is an opportunity to introduce your literary universe to the fans of these other authors and, and vice versa. All right, so now let's talk about marketing. So you've got your series, you finish your series, you're doing a spinoff book or your spinoff books. Uh, what do you do? How do you leverage this from a marketing perspective? Uh, well, the first thing I recommend is that you create a name for the literary universe. And ideally, it's done in a way that connects the names of the individual series and hopefully the individual novels. So this is done really well with the Honor Arrington books. There's what's called the Honorverse, which is all the books with her as a character, even if she's not a major character or even hardly in it at all. <clears throat> There's a lot of other characters in the stories other than Honor, but it's the Honorverse. And many of the book titles have the word Honor in the title, right? A debt of honor, uh, that sort of thing. 
and it helps connect the series and kind of connect it from a marketing perspective. So at a glance, people can say, oh, Honor, and they see the author's name, is this in that universe? And then they see that it is, and then they're sold. They're like, shut up and take my money, if they're already familiar with one of the other books in the series. Another thing that's very helpful is to create a landing page on your website for the literary universe itself and explain how the books connect and how in your recommended order to read them. Uh, my book table, which is the plugin that my company uh, originally developed, we don't uh, manage it anymore, uh, but we originally developed it. And this is one of the features that we built into my book table is the ability to connect to books via things other than series. So you can have books connected in the literary universe in my book table with something called tags. You create a tag for the literary universe and all the books in that universe can be featured all on one page. You can put them in the order you, you recommend for them to be read in. Don't expect people to read them in your recommended order. In fact, every book needs to kind of introduce the universe in a compelling way. So you never know which book someone's going to read first, but, uh, and it is helpful. I will say as somebody who reads a lot of books that are in shared universes, I want to read the books in the recommended order. <laughs> I don't always do it, but I, I want to at least know what the recommended order is. Sometimes authors make that very hard. Uh, the next marketing tip, and this is maybe the most important marketing tip. I probably should have put this first, but it has to do with book cover design. Your covers need to be designed with a design hierarchy, and and which means that you need to be working with a higher budget designer if you're going to be doing a literary universe and one you're willing to work with ongoing. Ideally, you want the same designer working on the books, or at least have your first designer put together branding guidelines for all the subsequent books so that the later on designers are able to follow those guidelines and recreate uh, the work that they're doing in a way that keeps everything tied together. So you want to have each series needs to be connected in terms of design. So it's visually very obvious that these books are all in the same series. But you also want to have some kind of design element that connects all the universes or all the books in the universe together, all the different series together. So for Marvel uh, comic books, this is the Marvel logo. And they have a print version of the logo, and they have an animated version of the logo that they show uh, for their TV shows and their movies. But the print version is what they put on their books, and it ties them all together. And you can tell at a glance at the cover, oh, this is a Marvel comic book, or this is a Marvel book. You know, they do regular books, too. And if you see that it's a regular book, you know a lot of things. If you're familiar, if you've read Marvel comic books, you know, okay, this is in the Marvel universe. Because all Marvel comic books are in the same Marvel universe. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Because <laughs> comic books uh, tend to bend their own rules. And they expand the definition of universe a little bit by having uh, multiverse. But we're not getting there. It's not sci-fi fantasy podcast. Um, so it could be something as simple as a logo. It also could be a pen name where you have a specific pen name that you use for all of your books, which is actually, to be fair, what J.K. Rowling tried to do with her uh, No Vacancy book. She tried to write that on a pen name, it, she, but she tried to do it secretly on a pen name. I think a better way to do it is what Joanna Penn did, where she's J.F. Penn with her fiction, and she's Joanna Penn with her nonfiction. Don't try to like hide behind a pen name. Just use it as a kind of a branding marker that all books by this pen name are all going to be in the same literary universe. 
Another piece of advice that I have is let the anticipation build. Uh, one of the temptations when you have a bunch of books in the same universe is to release them all at once, or do a rapid release strategy. And while this can work for some people some of the time, it doesn't work for most people most of the time. Uh, I don't even think it works for Netflix a lot of the time. They'll do a binge drop of a whole TV show. They'll release it all at once, and they have all this hype around it. Sometimes within a week, everyone is no longer talking about it. Whereas Disney Plus has a different strategy. The Mandalorian has a new episode that comes out every week, kind of in the classic um, TV show model. I actually think that's better because people get to spend the whole week anticipating it. And if they want, they can binge it at the end anyway. Uh, but it, it, uh, it, that anticipation is a really powerful motivator. You know, people enjoy the anticipation of Christmas more than they actually enjoy Christmas. <laughs> so don't take that away from your readers by giving them all the books all at once. Uh, let them savor the anticipation of not knowing what's going to happen next in your story for a time. Then you deliver and then you have you know, anticipation for the next book. You can wait too long, right? I'm not saying, you know, go five years between books. Uh, we all know authors who do that. And, it, and at that point, uh, people forget who you are. Uh, so don't do that either. You want to have a, a steady drumbeat of releases. Consistent, but not too rapid. Uh, another marketing technique that I recommend for books in a series, as well as books in a shared literary universe, is do aggressive price pulsing of the existing books in the universe ahead of the launch of the most recent book, especially book one of the series or whatever your signature book is that everything pivots around. Um, so, you know, Ender's Game is a good example of this. It's, it's a very popular signature book. I think it has a prequel and has two series that branch off of it that go in totally different directions, and have two different timelines. Um, one happens much later than the other because of um, it's not exactly time travel, it's time dilation because of moving at the speed of light and the theory of relativity. Um, but if, if the, I were their marketing director and there's a new Ender's Game book coming out, either in the Bean story or in the Ender, Ender storyline, I would you know do some price pulsing of the original Ender's Game book. You know, lower the price you know temporarily down to a lower point to bring in a bunch of new readers to the whole series in anticipation of that new launch. Um, this there's in movies. This is done very well by Disney and very poorly by Universal. So Disney owns Marvel, and ahead of a new Marvel movie coming out, that Marvel movie is typically free on Netflix. It's free in other places, or very easy to get cheaply. So everyone can get up to speed with the story, so they can then go watch it in the theater. Uh, Universal, which does the Fast and the Furious movies, doesn't do this. If you want to watch the last Fast and the Furious movie, you have to pay full price, and I think this is really to their detriment. Although they made money off my wife and I, we watched all the Fast and Furious movies leading up to Hobbs and Shaw. Um, and But it took us a long time, and it took us so long that we ended up renting Hobbs and Shaw rather than watching it in the theater because, you know, that's a lot of money to spend. We, would, we were only spending um, our Amazon credits for getting slow shipping on renting those films. Uh, so they missed out on our theater dollars because of that strategy. So uh, we did a whole episode on price pull strategy. Uh, it's episode 108, which you can still find in the feed. Uh, so there's a lot more to be said about price pulsing and how to use it for books. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 108 uh, for more on that. Another advanced technique, we already talked about this, but a wiki uh, can be helpful. It doesn't just help with continuity, but it also potentially can be a marketing tool. Um, another thing, again, we talked about this again uh, already, but I want to reiterate it because it's so powerful. Is that is recruiting other authors to write in your literary universe. Once your universe is established, once it's popular, uh, 
it's a great opportunity to bring in other writers to write in that universe. It introduces your readers to them and it introduces their readers to you. If you have three authors and two of them are collaborating and they're writing books in each other's universes and one who's not, the two that collaborate are going to win. <laughs> they're going to be number one and number two in their category. And the third author uh, that's not collaborating is going to be number three, all things being equal. So you know, be friends with your quote competitors, unquote. Get to know your micro genre. Um, and even if you have different politics, that doesn't mean that you can't still write stories in each other's worlds. I know people don't want to be around other people or interact with people who have different politics in themselves. But believe it or not, people who disagree with you, just the fact that they disagree with you doesn't make them bad people. <laughs> um, and people agreeing with you doesn't make them good people. Uh, Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, all right, final tip from a marketing perspective. So we talked about the cover. We talked about the content of the book. Uh, the final thing that's really key about uh, selling a literary universe is your back matter. Back matter are the pages after the, the end of the book. And you want the back matter of each of your books to connect that book with the other books in your literary universe. Have covers of those books, have you know a link to where they tap on their Kindle to go straight to the Amazon page to buy book two uh, so they can keep reading. Have an explanation of the different series and how they connect and maybe your recommended order. Put all of that in the back matter. Yes, you're gonna have it on your website, but you also wanna put it in your back matter. We'll really make it easier. Uh, and also put it in the back matter of your audio book. <laughs> Audiobooks have back matter too. It's the audio after the, the end. You can still have your narrator read things. And I will say, Audible is not great at helping you know what the next book is to read in a series. Um, it's, it's gotten a little better, but it's still weak in that area. And uh, as somebody who reads a lot of series, I'm often looking at for the author's website, trying to figure out which book is next. Um, and you know, if I'm binging the book and it's two in the morning and I'm wanting to buy book three of the series, make it easy on me. Make it easy to give me your money <laughs> and I will give you my money. All right, our sponsor today is the Ultimate Crowdfunding Course for Authors. This is the course where you're gonna learn how to use platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo to raise money for your next book before it comes out. And I will say, if you're writing your books in a literary universe, and you have fans of the universe, this can be a great opportunity to get some money with crowdfunding of those people who want to help make the next book happen. Especially if you're launching a new series, you can pre-sell a lot of those copies. And so in this course, we walk you through exactly how to do it, how to put the campaign together, how to hit 100%, how to go beyond 100%. And I do want to apologize. I said last week that patrons get 50% off, and they do. But the link inside of Patreon to get that discount was missing. I forgot to add it. It is now added. Um, and so if you check, you'll find that link. If you're a patron, you can get your discount. If you purchased it at full price accidentally, shoot me an email and I will refund the difference. Um, so uh, speaking of patrons, our patron of the day is Michael Jack Webb, author of Infernal Gates. Time is running out for Ethan Freeman, an ex-Special Forces Ranger, uh, to stop a conspiracy to free the Destroyer uh, and his horde of fallen angels. Can Ethan uh, stop the conspiracy before it is too late? So thank you, Michael Jack Webb, for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. You can see a list of uh, some of our other featured patrons in the show notes. And if you're curious about how to become a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, just go to authormedia.com. Uh, we have links in the show notes of each episode to connect to us on Patreon. 
And uh, a little, a bit of a personal update. Uh, right after I was done recording uh, this month's patrons-only episode back last Thursday, I went downstairs for dinner with my wife and daughter. And my daughter was looking at me funny. And I was sniffing. I'm like, is my nose bleeding? So I recently had um, surgery on my nose uh, to help my breathing uh, be a little bit better. And uh, sure enough, my nose started bleeding, and then it started bleeding a lot. And so my wife is Googling what to do for nosebleed. I'm hunched over. I'm holding my nose, you know, trying to stop the bleeding. And um, finally, we called the nurse for um, our medical uh, company that did the surgery. And, you know, we're on hold trying to get through to see what we should do because it's been bleeding for 30 minutes. It's been bleeding for 35 minutes. And as we're on the phone with the nurse, uh, my eye goes fuzzy. I'm like, why is my eye fuzzy? And I, I look up at Margaret, my wife, and I'm like, is my eye bleeding? And she looks at me, and my blood was coming out of my eye. The, the, my nose was bleeding so hard that the blood was coming out of my eye since I was holding my nose close. So the nurse was like, go to the emergency room right now. So my poor pregnant wife was packing up the baby in the car, and I'm like holding my nose, trying to get in the car. There's blood everywhere. She rushes me uh, to the emergency room, and they... Uh, do what they do and they're quite competent and our medical professionals are able to stop the bleeding but i've been pretty out of it (laughs) Um, this whole week since then recovering uh, from this complication of the surgery of uh, one of the one what ended up happening is one of the areas where they did the surgery reopened it just started bleeding like crazy and um, I've, i've been you know really struggling with discouragement because uh, I've been really, my energy's been really low ever since the surgery. I've, mentally, I've not quite been there. And, uh, but since this has happened with the nosebleed, I have this like thing that I say with my wife. It's like, well, you know, however bad today is, at least blood's not coming out of my eye. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you're having a tough day, uh, you can just say, at least blood is not coming out of my eye. And hopefully for you, that is true. <laughs> it can always be worse. There's a saying of the man who was sad he had no shoes until he saw another man who had no feet. So uh, be thankful for what you have. You know, I was never thankful that blood wasn't coming out of my eye until blood was coming out of my eye. <laughs> so anyway, um, that is my encouragement uh, for you today. Just you to take a moment at the end of this episode, you know, put pause before you go on to the next episode and just think about some of the things that you have uh, that you take for granted the ability uh, to walk or the ability uh, to see and just be thankful for those things. I think it will help even if you're going through a hard time. That's what I am trying to do in this season. I'm not doing it very well. So this is encouragement for me as well. Uh, But anyway, I uh, hope this episode has been helpful on literary uh, universe marketing. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, uh, do give us a call. We have a listener helpline. You can call uh, at 512-827-8377 in the United States. If you're outside of the United States and you want to ask a question, you can upload a recording at authormedia.com slash contact. And if you're in the United States, you can do that too. The audio quality will be higher if you upload it through the website, but you're also welcome to give us a call. You've been listening to Thomas Umstadt Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Author Media, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.